You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. My friend posted this on Facebook the other day and it caught my eye. Dear past, thank you for all the lessons. Dear future, I'm ready. It's a nice sentiment, hopeful, not without wisdom. But do I really have to be thankful for everything that has ever happened? Is everything a lesson that I need to decode? Do you have these questions? Does everything really happen for a reason? Maybe. But I don't know if any human being, I know I don't, know the reason. And so it doesn't do me a lot of good in the moment of suffering to say, yeah, this all makes sense. It's a heavy burden as much as a potential recipe for success. I think lessons require a teacher. And I'm not a very good one for myself. We actually need God to show us something new. We come up with a lot of ways to tell our story without God. And some of the stories we tell are very useful for a time, maybe even this one. But I think this is another story that just puts us on a more beautiful hook. Get better. Heal yourself. Learn your lesson. Perform. Here's another version of it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Did you know that this quote is actually attributed to Friedrich Nietzsche? I thought it might have been in the Bible. No, I actually didn't, but the way Christians talk, it it should be in the Bible as far as they're concerned. He actually said, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. I mean, he said something in, like, German or something, really. Is that what he spoke, Tom? German? Yes. Yeah, Nietzsche, that sounds German. I should know that. Uh, Some people might, might, you know, as I said, some people might think that this is in the Bible. It's one of those cliches that seems very comforting at times. But it comes with a, de- with a demand. Get better. Get stronger. Make lemonade out of these lemons. Quick. Last one. <clears throat> no pain, no gain. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Another sage of the ages. How this one makes it into the spiritual development section, I don't know, because he was just talking about building muscles. But people apply this to, like, the worst things that happen in their life. Well, no pain, no gain. Nothing. They, they turn themselves into, like, spiritual bodybuilders. Um, our pain has a reason, and it's for us to learn a lesson, to get better. It's our duty to our evolutionary development. The strong will survive. The future will be bright. If only we figure out a reason for our pain. Everything happens for a reason. Everything that happens has a lesson attached to it. That's too simple. There is, there's not a one and one-to-one relationship between pain and purpose. God can reveal a purpose for the pain, but it's God's revelation that is the X factor. Without it, I think we just have pain. And sometimes that has to be okay. Usually the revelation comes with time 
We understand it later. Rarely in the moment of desperation do we have much insight at all. But it's our goal as Christians to walk through the pain with God, wondering where the reason might emerge. We're constantly asking, where are you, God, in all of this? We believe that God can do great things under any circumstances, so we are always looking for it. It just so happens that it is when we are in pain that we are most often ready to learn something new. I think this is how humans work, and so God talks to us in that pain often. That's why there's this vague connection between pain and gain, or revelation and suffering, because it's, it's common that in a difficult moment, I might actually be able to receive a revelation from God. God can do stuff with us when we uh, are riding high, living our best life now, but it's kind of hard to get through the loud message of happiness <laughs> or um, meanness. Uh, it's actually when you when, when things aren't going great, that we are more ready to look for something new. Because when things are working, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm going to keep going. This is awesome. But when things fall down, when things fall apart, we're more ready to let God in. But when we tell the story, when we put it on our Facebook wall, I think many of us are still looking for a merit-based universe. We're looking for a universe that makes sense. We want rewards and we want punishment. We want God to do what we want. And so we're not really ready to receive this new revelation that I think God is usually doing, this surprise that he's usually breaking into our lives with. <coughs> I think that's what we're doing when we're writing all the, all our stories into neat little fables, is we're just denying the the possibility of God's influence. We're making, we're trying to make sense of what we've been given and not expecting anything new. So to to, to say, hey, past, thanks for all the lessons, means that, you know, future, I'm ready. I like that, but it's not just a, it's not just a progression on a line. It's not just, I'm getting better, the world is getting better. This is the story that we get. It's all up and to the right. I don't think it all works that way. And when we tell the story without God and without expectation of an interruption, of a new thing happening, I think that we might stop that, that revelation from getting in because God wants to do something with us. Of course there is an element of learning from your past mistakes that I think is wise. I don't want to discount that completely. My, my, that's where the wisdom comes in. Proverbs 26.11 puts it much more colorfully um, and much more negatively. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Don't be a dog eating your barf. <laughs> Underneath this potential wisdom that my friend shared on Facebook is the threat that we really, deep down, underneath that moment of good fortune, might be a dog that likes our barf. 
We better not screw it up like we did that one time. We better apply all of our best stuff perfectly to avoid disaster. It's all riding on me. It's too hard. That's too hard. If we're honest, it's too easy to return. We need some kind of break from the past, some radical new expression, something other. We need to get out of the continuum from where we have been to where we're going. Otherwise, we're just, we're just white-knuckling it, continually clawing every inch of our development, making it or breaking it every dang day. Jeremiah is all about revealing God's purpose, God's new thing for the people of Israel. He wants to teach his country folk a lesson, God's lesson. God's the teacher here. God is the revealer. Israel was God's chosen people. God had bound himself to them. God was on their side, but they had grown complacent in their self-understanding. Instead of following God's law and being an example to the world of what a nation could look like, what blessing look like, looks like when it's shared for the purpose of blessing the whole world, this was what they were made for, but they had turned to typical nation stuff. They had forsaken their chosen nation calling. They oppressed the poor like everybody else. They made political alliances like everybody else. They worshiped multiple gods like everybody else did at that time. They were not unique at all. They weren't doing anything different. Their existence was not at all radically different from their neighbors. So God made a radical break from what was. Israel died and was born again. They were given the chance to be new and God wanted their relationship with him to be different too. This was the brand new thing. This was the new revelation. Jeremiah tells his people, the Babylonian empire is coming and you will be destroyed. That's the death of Israel but then they get to come back. And that's the rebirth. There's this particular bright spot in the middle of the book of Jeremiah. Chapters 30 through 33 are what is known as the book of comfort. The book of Jeremiah is a compilation of all of Jeremiah's prophecy, most of it in poetry form. And it's obvious that it's been edited into the form that we have it in the Bible. But biblical scholars don't even debate about the organizing principle for the outline of Jeremiah because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's all jumbled together and too hard to figure out. And I actually like that because it sounds a lot like my life, you know, and a lot like, you know, when I'm trying to make sense of this all, trying to figure out what the lesson was, it doesn't work. I like that, but it's only, that's just a, an aesthetic thing. There's more content here as well. Our lives and our relationships with God are jumbled too. Sorrow and joy almost always exist side by side. This book of comfort, chapters 30 through 33, is plopped right in the middle of a lot of dark stuff. Jeremiah's primary purpose is set out in chapter 1. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah is that he is to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. 
Jeremiah spends a lot of his book uprooting and tearing down, destroying and overthrowing. Not as much building and planting. So this book of comfort is pretty important for the fulfillment of his purpose. Chapters 30 through 33 is when he gets to the planting and rebuilding. It's a unique message for Jeremiah and for the people who received it. The Babylonian Empire, here it is, that conquered Judah was this really powerful military force that swept through the whole region. You see, it's taken over that whole area of Central Asia, the whole Middle East as we know it, controlled by Babylon in the 6th century. Uh, The Babylonians, though, couldn't hold that territory, and not too much later, the Persians take all of this over. And then not too much later, the Greeks take it all over. And then not too much later, the Romans take it all over. You see, it's kind of at the center. It's the, it's the path between Asia and Europe. It's a really important piece of land, so everybody wants it, and they've been fighting about it forever. This is where Israel lives. And they're getting carted all over the place. A lot of the elite people get taken into captivity in Babylon. It's called the exile or the Babylonian captivity. You may have heard of it before. Because it's the Babylonian policy. How are we going to rule all these people? We're going to take all of their smart and educated and ruling people and we're going to take them out so we just have the peasants and we can control them easily. That's their idea for how uh, they're going to govern this giant territory. The Persians, though, have this other idea. They're like, no, we are going to demand fealty uh, and we need other people to actually govern these people. We don't want to, like, it's too hard to spread out all of our governors over everywhere. We're actually going to use the, the, the local government in our favor. So the Persians say, hey, all you uh, rich people, all you knowledgeable people that know how to govern your people, I don't want to do that. So go back to your land and take care of your people. All right? And this is just like, for them, it's this flabbergasting, what? <laughs> we were dead, and now, now the uh, Persians are going to send us back? This is crazy. And Jeremiah foresaw it. He spends a lot of his time telling him, yo, the Babylonians are going to take you down. And that wasn't crazy at all. That was like common sense. Everyone knew that the Babylonians were going to get them. And Jeremiah was trying to get them to go with that, as opposed to rebel against it. They did not believe that they were ever going to come back. So there's this book of comfort in the middle that is Jeremiah's prophecy of their return. Let's get a little taste of it. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess. Says the Lord, 1, 18 and 19, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents. Jacob is Israel's ancestor. So he sometimes gets, when we say Jacob, we mean all of Israel. I will restore the fortune of Jacob's tents and I have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins, that's Jerusalem, and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving, and the sounds of rejoicing. I like this one because it it points to the season coming ahead, uh, Advent. Uh, Chapter 2, 21 through 22. Set up road signs. Put up guideposts. 
Take note of the highway, the road that you take. Return, virgin Israel, return to your towns. How long will you wander, unfaithful daughter Israel? The Lord will create a new thing on earth. This story of return becomes legendary, and that's why it it ties into the story of Advent. These echoes make a straight way in the wilderness. Beeline it from Babylon straight back to Israel. Don't go around. Go right through the desert. Go as fast as possible back to the place that I'm sending you. Make straight the way for the Lord. This is something totally new. And it's new for Jeremiah, too. This little book of comfort, I think, is an exercise for him. He had perfected the lament, but there are other kinds of songs. We must be able to change our tune when things change. It's hard to do. Lament is a powerful tool. We've been working on it all season. It has this capacity to open our hearts. It taps into this universally shared emotion. I think this is why we all love sad movies. Maybe you hate them. I love them. But a lot of people, they keep making them. Why do we make these sad movies? Because that pain on the screen taps into my pain. And I'm able to express in this kind of safe way. The lament is a needed piece of culture, and it's existed for a long time. But how do we move out of lament? I think that it's very tempting to stay in lament because it's familiar, like it was for Jeremiah. Lament is definitely more authentic than tying everything up in a nice little bow, like a lesson or a moral that I learned from what happened last week. You know, it's more, more vulnerable than the demand to just be stronger than the storm all by ourselves. I, I much prefer lament to some of that cultural language that I was showing us. It feels truer to me, even if I'm still sad or angry about my life or the way the world is. Expressing that is useful to me. So until God actually does something new, I suppose lament might be the best place to be. The the best thing we can do is to be authentic and true to our experience, to give it full expression, something that we're not taught to do very much, so practicing is is good. But what if God does something new? Can we pivot? Can, Can we receive something else, conditioned as we are to focus in on the negative? Can you imagine what it was like for those people that were carted off to Babylon? Other stories from the Bible that I bet you know, Daniel and the lion's den, that happens in Babylon. He, didn't, he, he secretly prayed and he got thrown in a den of lions and God saved him. But that's what the Babylonians did to dissenters. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the three funnest names to say. Uh, another, another, one of the, another one of those stories that's basically about... Uh, capital punishment for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar. They get thrown in a fire, and they survive too. But I'm sure many of their compatriots did not. Many people who rebelled were killed. So I can imagine those people living in Babylon getting pretty comfortable settling in, trying to make a life for themselves, trying to make it work. And then... 70 years later, 
a long time, relatively. 70 years from now, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm probably not alive. I'm 35. In 70 years, I'll be dead. But my children, you know, can imagine them growing up some, in some other land, and now it's time to go home. Some of them don't want to go. It's too ridiculous. It's too wild, too new. But this is the opportunity that God has for us in this new thing. Will someone read this to us? This, this promise of the relationship that God wants with his people? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. It will not be like the covenant I made with your ancestors. It's not going to be the same. This is the covenant. Do you see the difference? I'll put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. It's no longer follow the rules, do what the elders say, learn your lessons. It's a relationship with God in the heart. It's no longer do what the religious people tell you. It's do what God tells you himself. Everyone is connected to God from the least to the greatest. It's this big shift in how religion even works. Everyone from the least to the greatest has this opportunity to relate to God. This is the big shift from what they had known before the exile. This is the meaning behind all this trauma of being having our place destroyed and us being carted off to Babylon. The established religion of Israel was riding too high. Too much tradition was intact to change as radically as God desired. It was too entrenched, too set up actually in stone. God needed an opportunity for them to be new again, for all of Israel to have a new way to relate. This is what God was headed for when he made the, the covenant with the people coming out of slavery. This is what he wanted. But he didn't get there with, with the plan that he had. So he makes a new one, breaks the old thing, and makes something new. The story is so new because God is the author. God is written on your heart. This is not the natural progression of things. This is not a lesson you might have learned from your own experience. It's too wonderful for that. This is something so new, completely surprising, that it must be from God. I think it sounds so new that even the people that he's talking to, Jeremiah, I don't even think they get it completely. I think it takes Jesus to bring this into its fullness, that 
Jesus is going to come as a human being and show you what it likes to what it's like to actually live as if this were true. Jesus had God's law written on his heart, and then he spoke as one who had authority, because he has this direct relationship with the Father, and he's inviting us into that relationship. I think that this was too big for them, this new covenant that they were making. And Jesus came to show us exactly what God was talking about. It's at this point, after exile, that the idea of a Messiah starts to grow. Before that, it was so specific to who's going to rule Jerusalem, which ruler is going to be in power. But after exile, everything is up for grabs. Everything is new enough that they're considering, what was God actually talking about? What's actually going to happen? How's this going to work when the Persians come in? after the Babylonians and then the Greeks. What does it mean to be related to God? There must be something more than just this temple and this kingdom. This messianic hope. Messiah, the chosen one, was more than just an anointed human king. It starts to grow. Oh, this is bigger than that. Oh, it's even bigger than that. So by the time Jesus comes, there's all kinds of prophecy that points to the immediate circumstances like this one this is what Jeremiah is telling his people in his book of comfort but it goes beyond that as well God wants to do something radically different and he still wants to do it with us Advent which starts next week is an ad and it is an expectation season during it we're going to reenact the drama of Jesus's first advent. Advent means appearance or coming. His first appearance as a little baby in Bethlehem. Almost everybody knows that story. But none of us know exactly when or how this next advent will occur. The next advent when Jesus returns. It will be completely new and it will interrupt us as dramatically as returning from Babylon, and probably more. No, definitely more. <laughs> when Jesus comes back, it's going to be completely new, and everyone's going to freak out. So even if you can't muster the energy to move through your lament right now, even if you're, you're feeling kind of stuck, this brings me hope that God is actually going to do something. You know, he, he's going to do something right now. I think that God is at work, and the revelation of God could even happen right here as we worship in a couple minutes. You could receive some gift from God that transforms your life. I'm not grandiose, but it could certainly give you comfort in the midst of your despair. I'm positive of that, that you could be open to that, and it could happen right now. But even if it doesn't, even if you're so closed off for whatever reason, that's not your fault, you know. If you're just too shut down to receive whatever God is, is trying to do in your life right now, at the end of all things, Jesus is coming back. Second advent. Jesus will do something new, whether you do something new or not. It's not all up to you. You don't have to just make it work. Learn your lesson. Meet the demand. Get better. That's not what it is. God's going to do something regardless of what you do. God is adamant about your transformation. 
And God's going to give you an opportunity, just as he gave the people in exile in Babylon, the people so used to lament. And we have the opportunity to move with that, to receive that, to look for that, little glimpses of that that are coming now. That future world, that other possible world is happening and is going to happen fully. So receive that now and move with what God is doing. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.